This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group, with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall. Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Hello, hope you're okay on Thursday, August the 18th. Thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast. Plenty on the A-level results out today in just a bit. But first, a woman's been arrested after four people were hit by a car in Chatham. The man, woman and two children were all taken to hospital after it happened on Dock Road last night. Reporter Amy Tregena has been there for the Kent Online podcast. People living nearby said that they didn't see the accident take place, but they had seen the aftermath of it. And one witness reported hearing the crash where she heard an engine rev and then screaming and then a crash sound and then a young girl crying. People also reported seeing a man with an injured shoulder in a sling and a young girl crying with grazes on her knees. They also reported seeing a car that had swerved to face the wrong direction and another car facing it. Well, police have told us they were called just after half five yesterday evening. A woman in her 30s and from the local area was arrested on suspicion of drug driving. She's since been released while investigations continue. Kent Online News. Thousands of teenagers across Kent have been collecting those all-important A-level results today, with many finding out if they've got a place at university. This year's students are the first to have sat in-person exams since before the pandemic. Well, nationally, pass rates have fallen by 1.1 percentage points to 98.4%, which the Education Secretary has described as a return to some normality after being teacher-assessed in 2021. Lenny Gibson has been collecting his results from Oakwood Park Grammar School in Maidstone. I got three A stars and one A, which puts me comfortably in my um, required grades for Oxford. I am really surprised I made the grades, to be honest. Weeks prior to the results day, I was quite nervous. There were quite a few news articles, really quite negative news articles on top students not making their grades. And um, I've been really concerned, losing quite a bit of sleep over it. But um, all in all, it's uh, it's turned out fine. So I'm quite proud of myself coming from a state school. Um, getting into Oxford is quite an achievement, considering that in September of last year, I wasn't even considering applying. I think it's been quite a stressful and um, long journey, obviously. Um, a year ago at the start of sick form we were learning over teams and that was quite disconcerting uh, I did not enjoy that at all um, but really got into the swing of things into the second year and um the topic list certainly helped. Well, huge congratulations to Lenny. And it's not just teenagers getting results. Toby Smith is just 12 and has got two A stars for maths and further maths. And he's been speaking to our reporter, Brad. Were you expecting it? Um, kind of, yeah. It's, it's, it's mixed with um, because when you when you do an exam, you, you don't think about what you got right. You think about what you got wrong. And what, what you got wrong highlights over what you got right. Mm. With maths, you're obviously doing stuff that 17 or 18-year-olds are doing, aren't you, with your A-level maths. Um, How has that been? Has it been particularly challenging? Well, the thing is, in the summer holidays, um, I watch a lot of YouTube. Like so, much. Um, I think my record of watching YouTube was about nine hours in one day. Okay. Which, if you reinvest that time in something that is not memes, and, no, um, then 
you can do what other people can do. For those who didn't quite get what they needed or were expecting, there is a chance to get into university through clearing. Saad Mahmood is the Student Union President at the Uni of Kent and got his place through that same system. It actually feels like it was yesterday. Uh, that day is very much ingrained in my mind. Uh, I remember on results day was just a flurry of emotions because I already got an email from UCAS that I didn't get into my uh, first choice. So before I even went to got my results, I already kind of knew that I had to go in and go through clearing. Um, but it worked out quite well for me, actually. I think that's what a lot of people say, actually, because I went through the exact same experience and kind of think, Do you know what, it, it couldn't have been any better. But it is a bit of a daunting time, isn't it, when you suddenly think, oh, my goodness, there's such a huge choice. What would your first bit of advice to be to any student who's just collected their results and has got to kind of rethink the future? Firstly, I would be I would say that be prepared. Um, so make a list of universities that you like. You know, I, I did that, but also trust your gut when it comes to it. I got quite a few offers. I called a lot of clearing lines at a lot of different universities throughout the UK. And I think I had about 10 offers at one point. Um, but the offer for Kent, actually, I didn't apply to Kent till the next day. Uh, so even then, it kind of just worked out. I guess that is the difference, isn't it? Because when you um, are applying for universities in the first instance, as you mentioned there, you travel around, you go and look at them. And during clearing, it's very, very different. You're almost having to make a decision based on perhaps somewhere you've never, ever been before. And it can be a bit of a risk. Obviously, it worked out for you. But how would you advise students on maybe just going for it, taking that risk, or what other research can they do, do you think? I think a lot of students look at the league tables, look at like kind of the official stuff online, but I would really kind of delve into a university social media to kind of find what the student experience is like. Um, I would have a look at the unions massively and see what support they offer, what societies there are, um, because the university is experience isn't just about the education, it's the whole thing, and that includes the socialising, the support, the employability, um, even just the advice that you get from people and the things like that. They're really essential to your whole uh, career at university. So I would really kind of delve into the student experience when deciding on a university because that will be the most relatable to a student compared to where we are, where university is in the league tables. Because at the end of the day, the league tables don't really decide how good your experience at university will be. Around 100 students are manning phones in a clearing hotline centre at the University of Kent. Jack Musgrove will be one of them taking the calls. I've been working at university during the summer and I spoke, to, um, obviously I did the hotline last year as well. Um, so last year when you obviously get a couple of people phoning up and they're in tears and it's horrible and it's, you know, the, the first thing I say is, this was me last year, you know, like I understand fully where you're coming from. Um, best thing is you've got no control over the situation. So at the end of the day, you've done what you can do. You've done your exams, you've got your results. Once your application's done, it's out of your hands. So, you know, I just try and tell you, try to calm down. You've done all you can do at this point. Um, and fingers crossed everything goes okay. How important is it, as you say, to have that calming voice at the end of the phone? Because for some people, it might feel like they're just the end of the world and they, they just don't know what to do next. So how vital is your advice that you're giving them? I think it's really important because obviously um, when you when these people are calling, for a lot of people, it's because results day hasn't gone as they'd hoped. So obviously they're in a bad place as it is. And if you're, if you're not having a sort of compassionate kind of calming voice and 
you're just going to add to their woes it's the last thing that they need so definitely a calm presence and attitude for sure absolutely how busy was it last year and how busy are you expecting it to be this year because university is kind of a bit more back to normal I suppose <laughs> if we can call it that after after Covid and what have you so last year I think for the first three or four days it was pretty manic and the phone didn't stop ringing and then it started to cool off but as you say uh, with universities supposed to be well open as it was prior to Covid um, I imagine it'll be busier because obviously I think more people will be looking to go away to university um, whereas before I think where lockdown was I think a lot more people were either not going to university or just staying at their local um, whereas now I think it's definitely going to be busier because university life is supposed to be normal as you say. Have you got quite a big team who are going to be manning the phones? I think they said there's over 100 people manning the hotline so there's a lot of people ready to answer the phones try and be prepared as you can so you know have maybe a short list of courses that you'd be interested in um always have plenty of questions ready because obviously we are there to help on any questions that you might have so a lot of the hotline people like myself are going to be students so they are able to answer any questions about student life as well because obviously clearing it's not guaranteed you're going to go to a certain university because you could be in contact with five or six universities so it's best to try and get a good as much a best feel as you can for a certain university but definitely try and be prepared so list of questions or list of courses that you'd be interested in um you know you want your UCAS number and stuff like that ready but just remain as calm as it's so easy to say but remain as calm as you can. Well, huge congratulations if you collected your A-level results today. You can also read this story on the website. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with car dealerships in Canterbury and Maidstone. A man in his 30s has been taken to hospital with a head injury following an assault in Margate. Officers were called to Market Street and are continuing to investigate. Two suspected burglars have been arrested just 30 minutes after a break-in was reported in Chatham. Officers were called to sports direct on the high street after the alarm was activated. Two men were later found hiding in a bush. The 45 and 51-year-olds from Chatham have since been released pending further investigations. A father who stalked the mother of his child and threatened violence has been sent to prison. Jack Walker became obsessive when the relationship ended and said he'd stab his ex-partner's father if she didn't allow him to see his son. The 26-year-old from Sangate Road in Folkestone has been sentenced to 18 months in jail. Now, almost one and a half million pounds is going to be spent on making Kent safer. The county's police and crime commissioner has successfully bid for the cash and will spend it in parts of Canterbury, Gravesham, Maidstone and Medway. Measures planned include setting up community projects to tackle antisocial behaviour and clearing graffiti. Matthew Scott has been speaking to Sophia Aiken from our colleagues at KMTV. It will look at the street scene, it will look at community safety initiatives, but also in many areas there will be a focus on making women and girls safer as well, which is really important at the moment. So what residents will be expecting to see will be perhaps increases in street lighting or CCTV, There'll be work, uh, youth diversionary work uh, and there'll also be initiatives that will help uh, particularly businesses and others to make women and girls safer. So overall, it's a really good package for the towns that have been successful. And how long is this actually going to take for, for these all to be uh, implemented, these safety measures? So these work, the work is underway at the moment to get that funding released to the towns. Uh, my hope is that that project will be delivered by March. Uh, so we have a very quick turnaround. Most of these things are as I say, tangible things that people can see so we can 
I hope get them um, put in very place very very quickly. And why do you think that this funding was actually necessary? How do you think it's going to impact residents? It's good to see the government investing in prevention because uh, the police can solve so many things, but actually it's better if we try and prevent it from happening in the first place. And in those areas where people are telling us they feel less safe, uh, particularly in towns at night time, there are things that we can do that will make people feel safer, such as I say, street lighting, improving the street scene, extra CCTV. So those things will help those towns which we've identified particularly uh, make residents and businesses feel safer. Were there any sort of, uh, were residents coming forward and saying that they didn't feel safe in Kent? Were there certain statistics that um, that you chose to make this funding based on? Uh, basically, why why did you choose to do this? So there, look, Kent is a safe place to, to live, work uh, and to visit, but there are areas where we have particular challenges and hotspots and uh, many will remember stories in the past where we've had challenges around the Dane John Garden in Canterbury, for example. This investment, coupled with work that we've done before, will help make that community feel safer. Uh, we've had ongoing challenges in Maidstone Town Centre, and thanks to the partnership between Kent Police and Maidstone Borough Council, and also One Maidstone, we'll be able to make that town centre safer as well. So on top of all the things that we've done in the past, like the reintroduction of town centre uh, PCs and the increase in police officers we've done. This helps take it an extra for, uh, an extra level, so it will make people feel safer. Kent Online reports. A doctor's surgery in Medway has had its registration suspended amid fears thousands of patients could be at risk. The Care Quality Commission's taken action after visiting the Stonecross and West Drive sites in Chatham earlier this month. They've not given us any details of their concerns, but the provider has the right to appeal. Staying with health news and the wife of a Kent man who died following the contaminated blood scandal, so she has mixed feelings after the offer of compensation. Steve Diamond from Broadstairs was one of thousands of victims who were infected with things like hepatitis and HIV in the 70s and 80s. Well, Steve died in 2018 and now his widow is entitled to a £100,000 payout. I've been getting more reaction to this from Strood GP Dr Julian Spinks. A whole group of people, particularly people who needed lots of uh, blood products, haemophiliacs who had extracts which helped their clotting and so on, received contaminated blood and it was contaminated with hepatitis C and for a lot of them also HIV. Um, they didn't know about it, it wasn't their fault, uh, but unfortunately they, left, they were left infected. Subsequently many of them have actually died, more than 1,200 of them, and there's a lot of them living with chronic illness from their hepatitis C, liver problems and so on. Um, and so it's taken a very long time to get round to a point where they're finally getting compensation. Yeah, there's been a very lengthy inquiry. And as you mentioned there, I mean, it was thousands of people who were affected at the time, wasn't it? It was. Um, you're looking at nearly 4,000 um, got hepatitis C and about 1,200 got HIV and often both. And so that's a very, very unpleasant combination to have. Um, and they not only uh, got it themselves, but there was a risk they passed it on to their partners. Um, they faced a lot of stigma. There was a time when people didn't want to go near haemophiliacs in case they had HIV and hepatitis C, um, because at the time there was a lot of ignorance as to how you caught both of those things. We really needed to have taken action a long time ago. And there's a series of things that really are worrying, such as uh, missing information, data and so on. And eventually it was only 2017 that Theresa May decided to have an inquiry, which has recommended that everybody in their family should get compensation. Five years on, we've heard how much that compensation will be today, um, £100,000, but not everybody's going to receive that, we understand. The people themselves are getting it. 
um, their wives are getting it, but their children won't necessarily do it. So if it's a family where both the husband and wife caught it and died, then their children will get no compensation. And likewise, um, uh, parents of children who had the uh, problem also won't get it. Hopefully that'll come along later because really it's, it's sad that they're not deciding to compensate everybody that's been recommended. How do we know, Julian, that nothing like this can ever happen again? What checks and balances are put in place now? Well, the really important thing is we do things like heat treatment of blood. So ordinary blood products are very low risk. And we now don't use blood extracted uh, proteins like uh, factor eight. We now have a way of making them uh, in the laboratory. So there's zero risk from that uh, product now. So really people will be confident when they have their, either a blood transfusion or one of these products that the risk is minimal now. Yeah, I was going to say, for anyone who perhaps does need to have a blood transfusion, they, they shouldn't be too concerned in that. What would you say to them today? Well, as a blood donor myself, I know that my blood will go through a whole series of checks and treatments to absolutely minimise the chances of you getting un anything unfortunate uh, from a transfusion. Uh, you can never make things 100% safe, but compared with back then, it's much, much safer. High levels of a potentially dangerous bacteria have been found in a river in Kent where people have been swimming and canoeing in the hot weather. Tests have been carried out on water from the Stour at Fordwich near Canterbury and found E. coli. Environmentalists say it's a concern for public health. Southern Water say their sites in the area have all been operating normally. However, there is a warning not to swim in the sea in parts of Kent following potential wastewater spills. Environmental campaign group Surfers Against Sewage say beaches in Folkestone, Sandgate, Hythe and Sheppey were affected during yesterday's downpours. Well, Southern Water say heavy rain overwhelmed their network and they had to release some to prevent flooding. Kent Online reports. It's been another day in Kent where we've been urged not to travel by train unless it's absolutely necessary. More strike action has been taking place. Members of the RMT union have walked out today and they'll do it again on Saturday in a row over pay, conditions and job losses. I've been chatting to John Holsall, who's from Network Rail. Can I just start by saying I'm really sorry for this continued disruption that the industrial action's causing. We are... Uh, still talking to the RMT, uh, and, uh, uh, but, but we are struggling to make progress. So as a result of that, there is going to be a significantly reduced service. So please check before you travel and particularly check those first trains and the last train because we don't want anybody to get stuck uh, in London. And at this time of year, I guess it's just particularly frustrating for people wanting to do days out, isn't it, and enjoy the, the summer holidays. It's kind of peak time at the moment for that sort of activity. Yeah, look, it, it's absolutely awful. This, and, and we're really confused as to what, what the trade union, what the RMT are trying to get out of further industrial action. We made a, we made a, a fair, decent, affordable offer to them of an 8% pay rise over two years, a guarantee of no compulsory redundancy, uh, subsidised travel, a promise of no change contracts. And uh, they didn't even put it to their members to check whether they wanted it, whether it was acceptable. So we're a bit perplexed as to uh, as to what, what, you know, what they're trying to achieve. We don't really know what they want. Do you think there's going to be any breakthrough before the next walkout? I mean, it's sounding pretty unlikely, isn't it, at this stage of, of the week? At the moment, it does look unlikely. Uh, the um, so, so, so I just say to people, please do check before you travel, check those first trains and last trains. And even on the uh, the day after the strikes, just check the early trains if you if you're hoping to use a really early train because it takes us a little bit of time to get the 
you know, get, get the railway up and running. And also don't forget that there's industrial action in London with TfL on the underground and on the buses, uh, I think on Friday as well. So just check TfL as well. Yeah, I was going to mention Friday because in the previous strikes, we've seen that it does cause a bit of disruption, doesn't it? Even on the day where there isn't a strike. Um, is that because you need to try and get rolling stock back in the right place, that sort of thing? It's exactly that. So, so it's rolling stock back in the right place. It's also, we had to do some some tests in terms of our electrical control centres, particularly in Kent. Now, actually, we, we um, ha having had some practice now, we're getting better and better at that. So the disruption the following morning is reducing, but nonetheless, those first trains could be disrupted. So um, I know I sound a bit like a stuck record, but check before you travel. And that way, um, that way you, you 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 won't be disappointed. What kind of impression do you get, or what what feeling do you gauge for, from people who are wanting to travel by train about this disruption? Do you get much feedback at all um, from passengers? We talk to a lot of passengers, as you'd expect, and we also talk to a lot of the passenger groups. The truth is that passengers are upset and frustrated, uh, as as I guess we all are. But whereas if this had occurred pre-pandemic. It would have been a catastrophe, but post-pandemic, I think most people have learned that they can work from home and they can change their arrangements, and they're much more used to it. Now, that, obviously, that's not true for everybody. Uh, they're sort of key workers, uh, which is why we urge those people who uh, who can work from home to work from home to make sure there's space and, and trains available for those key workers. But but the response is uh, it is much more tolerant than it would have been uh, a few years ago. Mick Lynch is the General Secretary of the RMT Union. Well, we've still got the issues at the start. The, the companies, Network Rail and the train operators, want to cut thousands of jobs from our industry, and we think that will have an impact on safety and obviously our members' future. They want to rip up our conditions of service. Uh, they, the train operating companies are also attacking our pensions. And, of course, we haven't had a pay deal across much of the industry for two or three years. So our members are feeling the effects of the cost of living crisis, but they're also worried about their futures. We need to negotiate a settlement with 14 train operating companies and, and Network Rail. We're seeking to do that virtually every day of the week. Uh, but I think that the obstacle here at the moment is the stance of the, the minister, Grant Shapps, uh, and backed up by the Treasury. And I think that's got a bit uh, wound up with the Conservative Party leadership uh, process. So if we can get uh, the, the companies negotiating freely uh, without being shackled by the government, we can negotiate a settlement for this dispute and get the railways back to, uh, to running fully. Well, only a fifth of trains were running today. Many lines were closed completely. Services will also start later tomorrow morning and on Sunday because of the knock-on effect, with strikes also due to take place on the Tube and London buses. More on public transport now, and plans to cut dozens of bus services in Kent have been postponed. Now, there's been an awful lot of criticism to the plans by the council to stop funding 38 routes in the county in October. October, claiming it'll leave some communities isolated. Well, the decision was called in by opposition councillors and debated at County Hall in Maidstone this morning. It's now been postponed and will be debated again by the full council next month. Divers are getting ready to inspect the wreck of Sheppey's bombship before three masts are removed next year. The maintenance work needs to be done to the SS Richard Montgomery to reduce the risk of it falling in on itself. A no-fly zone over the site can 
comes into effect on Sunday. Teams are expected to be in the area until November. At Kent Online today, this is one of our most read stories and you can see what part of Ashford Town Centre could eventually look like when work's finished on converting a Grade 2 listed building. The former Merchant Chandler's shop on North Street is being turned into two food outlets while the old Evans store next door is also on the market. There's permission for flats above the shops and it's hoped they'll be on the market by next February. Meantime, a multi-storey car park in Sittingbourne could be turned into a block of flats that would become one of the tallest buildings in the town. The six-storey block would have 50 homes but just seven parking spaces. The site is known as Brewer's Yard and is off St Michael's Road. We're also told there would be a roof garden and storage space for 50 bikes. And finally today, there could soon be another ferry service operating between Dover and France. New company Sailink is starting a cross-channel operation using catamarans to take people to and from Boulogne. The journey will take four hours and a pilot phase is due to launch next month. Kent Online Sports. First up cricket and it probably won't surprise you to hear that Kent's one-day cup match against Derbyshire yesterday was a complete washout. It had to be abandoned without a single ball being bowled because of the heavy rain. The Spitfires though have won two and lost three of their games in the competition so far and they welcome Yorkshire to Canterbury tomorrow. And in tennis, Kent's Emma Rajakanu has continued her impressive run at the Cincinnati Masters. She backed up her win over Serena Williams with a straight sets victory against Victoria Azarenka overnight. The 19-year-old from Orpington will face American Jessica Pagula in the third round as she continues preparations to defend her US Open title next month. Well, that's all from us for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. You can also get access to the ad-free Kent Online premium site. To do it, you need to subscribe. Just head to kentonline.co.uk forward slash subscribe. And whilst you're on the site today, you can check out the Libertines after they performed a surprise gig in Margate. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online podcast. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall.